Good morning, church. My name is Ashley Polly, and our scripture reading today is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 21, and James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And in James, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns sinners from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. On this weekend of Pastor Roger Bosch's ordination, uh, we're beginning a series that I'm calling When Jesus is in Charge. Uh, And I'll tell you why. Because when Jesus began his ministry, uh, and you read about it in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, he came out and he declared that the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, Now by that, what he meant was, in this world that his father had created, that God has created, when God was done, Genesis chapter 2, everything was good, very good. But in Genesis 3, as people walked away from God and hid from God, the Adam and Eve story in Genesis 3, then everything began to be broken and nothing is quite the way it should be. That other kingdoms rule in this world. So that things have been destroyed. And when those kingdoms rule, that's what they do. They destroy what God has made, especially the apex of creation. They do damage to human beings' lives. Now, the Bible tells us that those other kingdoms, other things that rule in this world, can be summarized with three, three words. Uh, the world, that all the systems and ways of the world have been influenced by things that are wrong so that everything is broken in our world. We see that in Seattle Pacific this weekend. That shouldn't be happening. That where you have a school where where shootings and death take place. But that's what happens. Our world is a broken place. All cultures, every place you go. The flesh is the second. That's us. That as Paul says, instead of us walking with God, we, we give in all the time to our own cravings taking us away from God. And the third is the devil. The evil one is real and is at work in this world. Now I'll just tell you this. When other kingdoms that are opposed to God are at work in in your life, in my life, and in churches and in the world, what happens mostly is brokenness. Things are broken. Now what do I mean by that? I mean mostly that that relationships are broken. We, We know that the first area of brokenness is our relationship to God. Did you know you've been made to know God and to walk with Him? And yet when sin comes in, we walk away. Genesis 3, they hid from God. And the same thing has happened so that most human beings have some sense that there must be a God. But don't know Him personally and don't walk with Him. There's a brokenness. Uh, Brokenness also happens in our uh, close human relationships. So that marriages and, and families and friendships 
end up being broken. And I'm sure all of you can cite so many of those in your own experience and among people that you know. Our own lives begin to be broken. That all the emotional and psychological and, and even physical kinds of things that happen, the sickness that happens is a part of the brokenness of a sin-filled world. And also, even the thing that God's called us to do in His world, human beings made in the image of God are to care for the rest of creation. There's brokenness in that as well. That so much of creation is destroyed. But Jesus came to change things. He said, the kingdom of God is here when I come. The king over that kingdom is here. What Jesus came to do was to end the reign of the kingdoms of this world. And it starts by bringing God back into the center of our lives. And the very heart of the Christian message that brings us to church, we call it the gospel. The very heart of this is that Jesus, God's Son, came into this world. And at great, great personal cost, makes it possible for us to be made right with God again and things to begin to come back together again. That's what we remember at the cross. Now what is a church? A church is a community of people and all of us are at least professing with our mouths that we, we have made Jesus the Lord of our lives through placing our faith in Him and what He did on the cross. We, we are a place where we have said, Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is in charge of my life. A whole community of us. That's what we're supposed to be. Which has brought me to that question. What happens when Jesus is in charge? What changes when Jesus is in charge? I had one answer right up from the shepherd's class. Everything. So this could be a long series. Yeah, you know, when Jesus, what, what changes? But today I want to start where it all has to start. The most basic thing that has to happen when Jesus is the Lord, when the kingdom of God comes into our lives, comes into our church, and the word that I want to use is what's going to begin to happen is reconciliation. Things broken begin to come back together again. What, what do I mean by reconciliation? Uh, I've written out just such a simple definition for you. It's the restoring of things that now are broken to their intended and proper relationship to one another. You, you've all experienced it. It's when you've had a close friend that was so beautiful and then somehow that friendship was harmed. When that friendship comes back together again, you say, this is the way it should be. You know what I'm talking about when I say that? So just think about it this way. If the competing kingdoms of this world break things, that when the kingdom of God comes in, he, brings to bring, he begins to bring them back together. Uh, unity, harmony, shalom, the peace of God. So I'm going to declare this to you. That the God you and I believe in, the God of the Bible, loves to bring broken things back together in his creation. And that's why Jesus came, to engage in a ministry of reconciliation. Reconciling, bringing back together those things in his Father's world that are broken. So that when, when Jesus begins to be in charge of my life, my life starts coming together. When he begins being in charge of my family, my family begins coming back together. When he's in charge of our church, we begin to come together because he is a reconciling God. So I want to think about that just a moment. We don't have nearly enough time to think about all of this, but I, but I hope it's the good part that I get to talk about. Where we really start is our uh, privilege of being reconciled to God. 
This great, great privilege of, of having God come back into, the, into our lives because we were made for Him. And that brings us to the first text that Ashley read so wonderfully for us. 2 Corinthians, and really the text runs all the way from chapter 5, verse 9 to chapter 6, verse 2. But since we only have limited time in our mornings together, let me just point out again uh, two of the great, great verses. We'll put them up, look at them, and I'll read them. What was God doing when Jesus came? God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. God, verse 21, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, he made him to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We might be right with God is what he's getting at. Now, I'm guessing we have a number of people who are new to church. We'll keep those verses up here just a moment. I'm sure when you look at that, you say, what on earth is that about? Um, But there are a couple of phrases that even if you're brand new to church, I think you can say, that sure sounds good to me. What what about that phrase, not counting people's sins against them? Anybody else like that phrase? Isn't that a hallelujah piece? That God looks at us and he's willing to say, I'm not going to count that against you. I'll watch you clean it. This is a part of the reason we like to go to church. Because this is the kind of God who does it. And this other phrase, that you and I can be the righteousness of God, it simply means that that we'll be able to be right with God again. That He'll come right into our lives and walk side by side with us. And if you don't understand exactly all of how this works out, then I would love to have you either contact me or one of the pastors, and I'll get someone to get in touch with you. Or at the end of church, we'll have some pastors and prayer counselors up here. We would love to talk with you about this beautiful thing, because I'm telling you this. You were made to know God. And it all starts when He comes back into His rightful place. That, your life comes together and everything else can begin to come together when God is at the center. Now, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this 2 Corinthians 5, he was one of millions of people who have been made right with God. It was quite a journey, journey for him. Because before he met Jesus, he didn't think he needed God. Um, he thought his life was fine just as it was. And he wrote about it in Philippians chapter 3, another one of his letters. He said, well, I came from the best family, best tribe, um, a be- a well-educated. Uh, I had everything, everything that you want to have, I, I had done it. So he thought he was just fine. Now, he wasn't just fine. Paul wasn't just fine. And there are several things recorded about him and that he confessed to that were not fine. For example, when a young, innocent man named Stephen was being stoned to death, he just stood there holding the cloaks, sort of applauding them on. You know that's not right, don't you? And then in Acts chapter 9, whenever he, it says from his inside out, when he breathed, he breathed out murderous and angry thoughts. Now, brothers and sisters, we weren't made to live that way. <laughs> So his life, he thought he was just fine. He was not just fine. Uh, and, uh, until one day, he met Jesus. Acts chapter 9. It was an eye-opening experience. In many, many ways, it was an eye-opening experience. And, and it opened his eyes in so many ways. He began to see himself as he really was. And that's what he writes about here in 2 Corinthians 5. He began to realize that he wasn't fine on his own. Uh, that he required, and the way he put it, Jesus to die for him. 
the sinless one in his place. He needed mercy. He couldn't do it on his own. And when he saw that, it changed his life. It it humbled him. He turned from his sins. He turned to Jesus. And from that point on, he was no longer the same. Now, the beautiful thing is this. Sometimes when, when we're humbled by that realization that things aren't right in our lives, sometimes we pull back and just fall into depression. But that wasn't true of him. No, no, no. In meeting Jesus and seeing himself as he was, he found a whole new purpose in life. And do you know why? Because when he met Jesus, he found out that God knew him, that God loved him, in spite of all that he knew. He knew that God had found a way to remember those sins no more, not count his sins against him, that hallelujah part. That's why he wrote about it. And he found out even that God was ready to use him in a powerful and eternal way that he otherwise could never have been used. And, and from that point on, he never forgot. He never forgot what Jesus had done. And at near the end of his life, he would say, you need to know that this work of God to make me right with him, to come back into my life, was all by his grace because I am the worst of sinners. That's what he called himself. And yet he had been received by God, welcomed by God, forgiven by God. And he said, all of my life, I am compelled. My life is driven by experiencing the love of Christ. It absolutely, and because he felt, if my life can be made right with God, there is hope for anybody. And exactly, if you read through that great text, and I think began with like verses 11 through 15 or so, you'll see that Paul just revels in two of the verses three times he says, and he died not just for me, but for all. Jesus loved and died not just for me, but for all. And a third time, for all. So I've got to ask you, who is in the all? Who, who's in the all? This is not hard. This, <laughs> no. <laughs> in the first service, somebody said, you are a pastor. And I said, thank you. I need to hear that. Um, you, are, are you in the all? Just think about that, what that should do to us. Um, what about your spouse? What what about your child or your parents? What about that person who works next to you that really gets on your nerves? Is that person in that all? You see, what happens is, as his eyes change, his eyes were open to himself, his eyes changed for the way he saw people. He was no longer just irritated by people. He no longer criticized them. The main thing, he still saw the same kinds of physical things that we see, but he no longer primarily saw people the way that we usually do. Oh, that person is of a different political party. They're all, that's the primary thing, you see. No longer did he look at anybody that way first. How did he see people? He saw every person as a person that God knew, loved, and for whom Jesus died. Every person. Therefore, he saw every person as one who could receive the forgiveness, salvation of God. Every person who could have the Holy Spirit come and dwell within Every person who could become a part of the family. And that led him to just revel. Verse 17. It's one of the most memorized verses in the Bible. If you've never memorized one, this is a good one. How do we see people? If anyone is in Christ. Anyone. That person is a new creation. The old has gone. 
and the new has come. All this is from God who has reconciled us of all people to himself through Christ. Do you see people that way? Do you see people that way? Let's see. So what is a church? Or at least what should we be? Um, A church is, is a community of people All of us have acknowledged we needed the mercy of God. We are mercy-needing people who have found mercy in Jesus. And we have been brought back into a right relationship with God. He's reconciled us to himself. Can you believe it? He wanted you and me and his family. He has done it at incredible cost. We're all in by God's mercy, through his grace, through faith in Jesus and in Jesus alone. And I'll tell you, that, that's where Jesus begins his transforming work in us. He, he takes flawed people, even a murderous person like Paul. Uh, he tells us he loves us. He washes us clean of our past. He comes into our lives, gives us his Holy Spirit. And with that in mind, look again at how Paul put it so clearly. Verses 18 to 21. All this is from God. He's the one who reconciled us to himself through Christ. But then notice this. So that he could give us the ministry of reconciliation. Here it is that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. As Pastor Scott was praying for those who will be going to different missions. um, I just thought that's what we're going for. And and when you go to your workplace or to your school, that's what you're going for. Because he has committed to us both the message, verse 19, and the ministry of reconciliation. Now, both of those are important. Message. Uh, We have to tell people that the reconciliation comes through Jesus. Because I, I keep hearing about people talking about silent witness. Because people might be put off by the, by the person of Jesus. No, the message centers on Jesus. So I pray that you'll find the courage to be able to use your mouth, to, to use words that tell people about Jesus as the one who loves us. But it also has to be a ministry because words can just be words. But the ministry must back up those words. The message must be love-driven through the ministry. And that ministry is loving people as God loves us being willing to care about the needs of people, even if they've gotten themselves into that mess. So I've written this here for you to see it. So what happens when Jesus is in charge? When the kingdom of God is at work among us, what we're going to begin to see is people who are broken from God, coming from all walks of life, and I mean all walks of life, being welcomed into our church family, loved in our midst, and in the midst of their need, called to trust and obey and follow Jesus and being reconciled to God. So let me ask you this. If you have a sheet of paper or you have your phone out making notes, is there anybody you know in this world who needs to be reconciled to God? I'm sure you can think of dozens. Who are the first two or three that come to your mind? Who are the first two or three? Will you write those people's names down wherever you have? Will you write them down? Somehow make a note of it? And I want you to begin praying for them. Uh, And then also pray that perhaps God will give you an opportunity to engage both in the ministry and message of reconciliation. 
When I've begun praying like this, sometimes a person will come and suddenly have needs that that person has never had. I, I, don't, I don't think it's God's curse or anything. It's just it gives me the opportunity to extend the love of Christ. Pray that God might give you the opportunity to pray, to counsel, to give to the needs of that person, and that he would give you the courage to engage in the message of reconciliation through Jesus. So, when Jesus is in charge, people are made right with God. I pray we're going to see more and more of that here in our church. We're seeing it. Amen? But more and more I'm praying it will happen. Which leads us to the second point and the last point I want to make today. The inevitable result of us being a church like that and people like that, of being reconciled to God and thankful for it, is that we become a reconciling church family. And that brings us to the last two verses in the book of James. We've been in it all year, and I'm almost sad we come to the last two verses. But let me just tell you this. When you come to these last two verses, many Bible scholars are baffled by these two verses being the last verses in the, in the book. Many think, did somebody just pop that on at the end, or did the rest of the letter get cut off? Uh, because you see here, there are no niceties there. There are no um, uh, greetings to you. I'll come over tonight and bring some food. None of those, I'll pray for you. Nothing like, it's just a challenge. Now, having been here all these months, some of us say, well, that's how James writes, isn't it? Well, let me tell you, uh, Pastor Carol Kenyon, who is just one of our wonderful colleagues, talked to me about this to help me to understand it better. She told me that when she has left her boys off at college, and I think Carol has six boys, right? that when she has taken her six boys off to the places where they're going, and then as she's just about to leave, and she gives her boys the last words, that those last few things she says to them are not the unimportant things. Mothers, you know that, right? And she says those words, it's not the first time that she says them. They are now remember... This is what I've asked you to do. She, they drive home the important things. So here we have Pastor James, loving his people, knowing that they were going through some challenging times. With that in mind, look at his very last words. So my brothers and sisters, it's his favorite term for his church. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should go and bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. With that, he ends the letter. Now, now, I, I want you to feel the passion and I also want you to feel the love in this letter. Here's the way I read it and I think I'm right about this. Uh, Pastor James had many people who had once been in the church that he deeply loved. I'm guessing some of them could have been his own family members. But he knew that also in the church there were many people who had had people in their small groups and in their families who at one point were there in the church and seemed like they believed in Jesus, seemed to be faithfully there, and they weren't there anymore. And and what he calls that is wandering from the truth. Do you see it? And by that, we've already learned from James, that doesn't just mean they don't believe the right things anymore. It means they're just not walking with God anymore. And so they weren't in the church anymore. And and Pastor James knew that when a person is not in a church, they're on almost certainly on what he calls the path of death, the path that leads away from God. 
Because the path of life is where we're reconciled to God and walking with Him. And that growth and that development in life happens in the context of God's people. So I've written for you to look at and think about. James suggests what most of us here know. uh, That when people leave a local church, they're almost certainly drifting away from God. Uh, The early church had no concept of a true Jesus follower not being a part of a local church. Now, I've been here seven years. I don't want to exaggerate this, but, but I think that the greatest pain that I've sensed in the hearts of almost all of us as church people are the many, many people that we all know who once claimed to be followers of Jesus and are no longer here. Almost all of us have people like that in our families. I do. I'll tell you that. It, it creates great pain in our hearts, right? We've had people who have led in our church. We have had people who've been in small groups that we've walked alongside of, we've laughed with, we've, we've had fellowship with, who are not walking with the Lord anymore. Uh, James, as a pastor, had, a, had this deep, compassionate heart for his people. And so his last words is, if, if you know people who are there and they're wondering, go get them and bring them back. Now, how, how does God bring people back? Does he have this sort of uh, electrical zap that, or, 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 or mighty wind that blows them back into the church? I mean, he could do that. Um, he met Paul that way. Jesus did on the road to Damascus. But what James says is, is that it doesn't usually happen that way. It happens through us as people. If anyone will go after that person, remember this. So that's what he says. If anyone... Now, now, I'll ask another hard question. Who's in the anyone? Who, who's in the anyone? I, I know what many want to say. Pastor Roger Bosch, now that he's been ordained, you're going to be good at this. You're going to be a good reconciling pastor, bringing people back. And you are good at it, Roger. But it's not just Pastor Roger. And I, I want to add this to it. When there's a, a marriage that's broken by the kingdoms of this world, It's not just the spouse of the wandering spouse who has to be the anyone who goes to that wandering spouse and brings that person back. It can be anyone of us as brothers and sisters. And when we have a family where parents might have a child wandering away and not there anymore, it's not just the parents who are the ones or the anyones who go. It can be anyone. Anyone. And when we go and minister to one another in this way, it knits us together in prayer and in a deep love for one another. Pastor Carol helped me to understand that too. Uh, She talked about the fact, and I I know it came out of her own experience, that when a really deeply loved one in her circle of friends and family has walked away from the Lord, that God has sometimes used another anyone in the life of the church to bring that person back to the Lord. And ask, how how do you feel about a person who does that? I've had that happen in my own life. Uh, A family member that God sent a wonderful anyone (laughs) to go and bring my family member back to the Lord. You know how I feel? I love that person. (laughs) I love that person. You can't say anything negative about that person. You see, whenever we're engaged in this kind of ministry together, it knits our lives together. But but if we don't engage in this and people just sort of wander off, 
our church becomes fragmented and it's just more like a swinging door of people and we grow more and more distant. Now, it, it takes some commitment on all of our parts, yours and mine as well, to actually be this kind of community. It means you have, we have to know one another well enough and it, it means you have to be involved in a place of serving and or a small group. Because I'll tell you, when you serve alongside somebody, and then suddenly you find out that person that you love serving with isn't there anymore, then you know, and then, then you can go, you can pray, and you can go. And when you're in a small group, you either share with one another, oh, I have a member of my family, I'm really, my heart's aching, he's not walking with the Lord anymore. Or else you'll find that member of your small group's not there anymore. And then we can become those anyones to one another and serve one another. And God will be glorified because a place like this where each one of us says, I don't deserve it. I'm a mercy-needing person who's found mercy. God, God brought me back into his family becomes a reconciling community. We love to be involved in God's reconciling work. It's a ministry together. And it's just what happens when Jesus is in charge. We, we, make, we do hard things... To reconcile us to God took the death of Jesus. Making peace, it, it takes time. Sometimes we feel inadequate at doing it. It takes a lot of prayer. But I am telling you, when we engage in it, there is no greater joy than when a person comes back to Christ. And when we, in all of our feebleness and frailty, whatever word is there, Go out and say, Lord, I'm not sure I'm good at this, but I'm going to go and try to bring a person back, uh, call them back again. I'm convinced of this, that the wind of God's Spirit is going to be blowing in our direction. He is going to be helping us in this thing. And do you know why I'm so sure of that? Because of what I said at the beginning, because God loves to bring broken things in His creation back together. And he especially loves it when human beings are brought back to him and to one another. And so any church where Jesus is in charge pursues reconciliation. I mean, we should just love to show mercy and welcome wherever a person has gone. No matter what they've done. We should Do you know why we should love to show mercy and, and welcome people? Because God has shown us mercy and welcomed us. He loves it. We are called to be His ambassadors of reconciliation. It's one of the greatest privileges in the world. Those, when, when we respond to this word uh, obediently, prayerfully, uh, I think what we're going to begin seeing is those who once were far from God those who have even been incarcerated finding freedom and a place of belonging. That's what we're going to find. We're, we're going to find proud people who think, I'm just fine just as I am, like the Apostle Paul, experiencing the joy of humility, <laughs> the joy of saying, I need God's mercy too, falling on their knees coming to Jesus as the Apostle Paul did. And we're going to find people who once were here but who are straying, coming back home. That's what happens when Jesus is in charge. May it happen.
May it happen more and more here to his glory. Amen. Amen.